Welcome to Nicheless Narrative, Christmas edition with Shadows Pub. Today, I'm bringing you another Stephen Leacock story. Merry Christmas. My dear young friend, said Father Time, as he laid his hand gently upon my shoulder, you are entirely wrong. Then I looked over my shoulder from the table at which I was sitting, and I saw him. But I had known or felt for at least the last half hour that he was standing somewhere near me. You've had, I do not doubt, good reader, more than once the strange, uncanny feeling that there is someone unseen standing beside you in a darkened room with a dying fire when the night has grown late and the October wind sounds low outside and when, through the thin curtain that we call reality, the unseen world starts for a moment clear upon our dreaming sense. You've had it. Yes, I know you have. Never mind telling me about it. Stop. I don't want to hear about the strange presentiment you had the night your Aunt Eliza broke her leg. Don't let's bother with your experience. I want to tell mine. You're quite mistaken, my dear young friend, repeated Father Time. Quite wrong. Young friend, I said, my mind as one's mind is apt to in such a case, running to an unimportant detail. Why do you call me young? Your pardon, he answered gently. He had a gentle way with him, had Father Time. The fault in my failing eyes. I took you at first sight for something under a hundred. Under a hundred? Well, I should think so. Your pardon again, said Time. The fault is in my failing memory. I forgot. You seldom pass that nowadays, do you? Your life is rather very short of late. I heard him breathe using a wistful hollow sigh. Very ancient and dim, he seemed as he stood beside me. But I did not turn to look upon him. I had no need to. I knew his form in the inner and clearer sight of things as well as every human being knows, by innate instinct, the unseen face and form of Father Time. I could hear him murmuring beside me, short, short, your life is short, till the sound of it seemed to mingle with the measured ticking of a clock somewhere in the silent house. Then I remembered what he had said. How do you know that I am wrong, I asked, and how can you tell what I was thinking? You said it out loud, answered Father Time. But it wouldn't have mattered in any way. You said that Christmas was all played out and done with. Yes, I admit it. That's what I said. And what makes you think that? He questioned, stooping, so it seemed to me, still further over my shoulder. Why, I answered, the trouble is this. I've been sitting here for hours. Sitting here till goodness only knows how far into the night trying to think of something to write for a Christmas story. And it won't go. It can't be done. Not in these awful days. A Christmas story? Yes, you see, Father Time, I explained, glad with a, with a foolish little vanity of my trade to be able to tell him something I thought enlightening. All the Christmas stuff, stories and jokes and pictures, is all done, you know, in October. I thought it would have surprised him, but I was mistaken. Dear me, he said, not till October. What a rush. How well I remember in ancient Egypt, as I think you call it. 
seeing them getting out their Christmas things, all cut in hieroglyphics, always two or three years ahead. Two or three years? Pooh, said time. That was nothing. Why, in Babylon, they used to get their Christmas jokes ready, all baked in clay. A whole solar eclipse ahead of Christmas. They said, I think, that the public prefers themselves. Egypt, they said? Babylon? But surely, Father Time, there was no Christmas in those days. I thought, my dear boy, he interrupted gravely, don't you know that there's always been Christmas? It was silent. Father Time had moved across the room and stood beside the fireplace, leaning on the mantelpiece. The little wreaths of smoke from the fading fire seemed to mingle with a shadowy outline. Well, he said presently, what is it that is wrong with Christmas? Why, I answered, all the romance, the joy, the beauty of it has gone, crushed and killed by the greed of commerce and the horrors of war. I am not, as you thought I was, a hundred years old, but I can conjure up, as anybody can, a picture of Christmas in the good old days of a hundred years ago. The quaint, old-fashioned houses, standing deep among the evergreens, with the light twinkling from the windows on the snow the warmth and comfort within, the great fire roaring on the hearth, the merry guests grouped about its blaze, and little children with their eyes dancing in the forest firelight, waiting for Father Christmas in his fine mummery of red and white and cotton wool to hand the presents from the Yuletide tree. I can see it, as if it were yesterday. It was but yesterday, said Father Time and the voice seemed to soften with the memory of bygone years. I remember it well. Ah, I continued, that was Christmas indeed. Give me back such days as those, with the, good, the old good cheer, the old stagecoaches, the gabled inns, the warm red wine, the snapdragon, and the Christmas tree. And I'll believe again in Christmas. Yes, and Father Christmas himself. Believe in him, said Time quietly. You may do well do that. He happens to be standing outside in the street at this moment. Outside? Why don't he come in? He's afraid to, said Father Time. He's frightened, and he daren't come in unless you ask him. May I call him in? I signified assent, and Father Time went to the window for a moment and beckoned into the darkened street. Then I heard footsteps, clumsy and hesitant they seemed, upon the stairs. And in a moment, a figure stood framed in the doorway. The figure of Father Christmas. He stood, shuffling his feet, a timid, apologetic look upon his face. How changed he was! I had known in my mind's eye, from childhood up, the face and form of Father Christmas, as well as that of old time himself. Everybody knows, or once knew him, a jolly little rounded man with a great muffler wound about him, a packet of toys upon his back, with such merry twinkling eyes and rosy cheeks as only are given by the touch of the driving snow and the rude fun of the north wind. Why, there was once a time, not yet so long ago, when the very sound of sleigh bells sent the blood running warm to the heart. But now had changed. All draggled with the mud and rain, he stood, as if no house had sheltered him for these past three years. His old red jersey was tattered in a dozen places. His 
muffler frayed and ravel. The bundle of toys that he dragged with him in a net seemed wet and worn till the cardboard boxes gaped asunder. There were boxes among them. I vowed that he must have been carrying those these past three years. But most of all, I noted the change that had come over the face of Father Christmas. The old brave look of cheery confidence was gone. The smile that had beamed responsive to the laughing eyes of countless children around unnumbered Christmas trees was there no more. And in the place of it, there showed a look of timid apology, of apprehensiveness, as of one who asked in vain the warmth and shelter of a human home. Such a look as the harsh cruelty of this world has stamped upon the faces of its outcasts. So he stood, Father Christmas, shuffling upon the threshold, fumbling his poor, tattered hat in his hand. Shall I come in, he said, his eyes appealingly on Father Time. Come, said Time. He turned to speak to me. Your room is dark. Turn up the lights. He's used to light, bright light, and plenty of it. The dark has frightened him these past three years. I turned up the lights and the bright glare revealed all the more cruelly the tattered figure before us. Father Christmas advanced a timid step across the floor. Then he paused, as if in sudden fear. Is the floor mine? he said. No, no, said Time soothingly. And to me, he added in a murmured whisper, He's afraid. He was blown up in a mine in no man's land between the trenches at Christmas time in 1914. Broke his nerve. May I put my toys on that machine gun? asked Father Christmas timidly. It will help to keep them dry. It's not a machine gun, said Time. See, it's only a pile of books upon the sofa. And to me, he whispered, they turned a machine gun on him in the streets of Warsaw. He thinks he sees them everywhere since then. It's all right, Father Christmas, I said, speaking as cheerily as I could. Well, I rose and stirred the fire into a blaze. There are no machine guns here, and there are no mines. This is but the house of a poor writer. Ah, said Father Christmas, lowering his tattered hat still further, attempting something of a humble bow. A writer. Are you Hans Anderson, perhaps? Not quite, I answered. But a great writer I do not doubt, said the old man with a humble courtesy that he had learned. It may well be centuries ago in the Yuletide season of his northern home. The world owes much to its great books. I carry some of the greatest with me always. I have them here. He began fumbling among the limp and tattered packages that he carried. Look, the house that Jack built. A marvelous deep thing, sir. And this, the babes in the wood. Do we take it, sir? A poor present, but a present still. Not so long ago, I gave them in thousands every Christmas time. None seem to want them now. He looked appealingly towards Father Time, as the weak may look towards the strong for help and guidance. None want them now, he repeated, and I could see the tears starting in his eyes. Why is it so? Has the world forgotten its sympathy with the lost children wandering in the wood? All the world, I heard Time murmur with a sigh, is wandering in the wood. But out loud he spoke to Father Christmas in cheery ad admonition. Tut tut, good Christmas, he said. You must cheer up. Here, sit in this chair, the biggest one. So, beside the fire. 
Let us stir it to a blaze. More wood. That's better. And listen, good old friend of the wind outside. Almost a Christmas wind, is it not? Merry and boisterous enough for all the evil times it stirs among. Old Christmas seated himself beside the fire, his hands outstretched towards the flames. Something of his old-time cheeriness seemed to flicker across his features as he warmed himself at the blaze. That's ah, better, he murmured. It was cold, sir. Cold. Chilled to the bone. Of old, I never felt it so, no matter what the wind. The world seemed warm about me. Why is it not so now? You see, said Time, speaking low in a whisper from my ear alone, how sunk and broken he is. Will you not help? Gladly, I answered, if I can. All can, said Father Time, every one of us. Meantime, Christmas had turned towards me a questioning eye, in which, however, there seemed to revive some little gleam of merriment. Have you perhaps, he asked half timidly, schnapps? Snops, I repeated. Aye, snops. A glass of it to drink your health might warm my heart again, I think. Ah, I said, something to drink. It's one failing, whispered Time. If it's one, forgive it him. He was used to it for centuries. Give it to him if you have it. I keep a little in the house, I said reluctantly. Perhaps in case of illness? Tut tut, said Father Time, as something as near as could be to a smile passed over his shadowy face. In case of illness. They used to say that in ancient Babylon. Here, let me pour it for him. Drink, Father Christmas, drink. Marvelous as it was to see the old man smack his lips as he drank a glass of liquor neat after the fashion of old Norway. Marvelous, too, to see in the way, the way in which, with the warmth of the fire and the generous glow of the spirits, his face changed and brightened till the old-time cheerfulness beamed again upon it. He looked about him, as it were, with a new and growing interest. A pleasant room, he said. And what better, sir, than the wind without and a brave fire within? Then his eye fell upon the mantelpiece, where lay among the litter of books and pipes a little toy horse. Ah, said Father Christmas almost gaily, children in the house. One I answered, the sweetest boy in all the world. I'll be bound he is, said Father Christmas, and he broke down into a merry laugh that did one's heart good to hear. They all are. Lord bless me. The number that I've seen, and each and every one, quite right too, the sweetest child in all the world. And how old, do you say? Two and a half. All but two months except a week. Very sweetest age of all. I'll bet you say a what they all do. The old man broke again into such a jolly chuckling of laughter that his snow-white locks shook upon his head. But stop a bit, he added. This horse is broken. Tut-tut. A hind leg nearly off. This won't do. He had the toy in his lap in a moment, mending it. It was wonderful to see, for all his age, how deft his fingers were. Time, he said, and it was amusing to note that his voice had assumed an almost authoritative tone. Reach me that piece of string. That's right. Here, hold your finger across the knot. There. Now, a wee bit of, of beeswax. What? No beeswax? Tut tut. How ill-supplied your houses are today. How can you mend toys, sir, without beeswax? Still, it will stand up now. I tried to murmur my best thanks. But Father Christmas waved my gratitude aside. Nonsense, he said. That's nothing. That's my life. 
Perhaps the little boy would like a book too. I have them here in this packet. Here, sir. Jack of the Beanstalk. Most profound thing. I read it to myself often still. How damp it is. Pray, sir, will you let me dry my books before your fire? Only too willingly, I said. How wet and torn they are. Father Christmas had risen from the chair and was fumbling among his tattered packages, taking from them his children's books, all limp and draggled from the rain and wind. All wet and torn, he murmured, and his voice sank again into sadness. I've carried them these three years past. Luck. Those were for little children in Belgium and in Serbia. Can I get to them? Thank you. Time shook his head. Presently, perhaps, said Father Christmas, if I dry and mend them, look, some of them were inscribed already. This one, see you, was written with Father's love. Why has it never come to him? Is it rain or tears upon the page? He stood bowed over his little books, his hand trembling as he turned the pages. Then he looked up, the old fear upon his face again. It sound, he said, listen. Is it guns? I hear them. No, no, I said. It's nothing. Only a car passing the street below. Listen, he said. Hear that again? Voices crying. No, no, I answered. Not voices. Only the, wi the night wind among the trees. My children's voices, he exclaimed. I hear them everywhere. They come to me in every wind, and I see them as I wander in the night and storm. My children, torn and dying in the trenches, beaten into the ground. I hear them crying from the hospitals. Each one to me. Still as I knew him once, a little child. Time, time, he cried, reaching out his arms in appeal. Give me back my children. They do not die in vain, time murmured gently. But Christmas only moaned in answer. Give me back my children. Then he sank upon his pile of books and toys, his head buried in the arms. You see, said time, his heart is breaking. And will you not help him if you can? Only too gladly, I replied, but what is there to do? This, said Father Time, listen. He stood before me, grave and solemn, a shadowy figure but half seen, though he was, close beside me. The firelight had died down, and through the curtained windows there came already the first dim brightening of dawn. The world you once you knew, said Father Time, seems broken and destroyed about you. You must not let them know, the children, the cruelty and the horror and the hate that racks the world today. Keep it from them. Someday he will know. Here Time pointed to the prostrate form of Father Christmas, that his children, that once were, have not died in vain, that from their sacrifice shall come a nobler, better world for all to live in where countless happy children shall hold bright their memory forever. But the children of today, save and spare them all if you can from the evil hate and the horror of the war. Later they will know and understand. Not yet. Give them back their Merry Christmas and its kind thoughts and its Christmas charity, till later on there shall be with it again peace upon earth, goodwill towards men. His voice ceased. It seemed to vanish, as it were, in the sighing of the wind. I looked up. Father Time and Christmas had vanished from the room. The fire was low and the day was vis breaking visibly outside. Let us begin, I murmured. I will mend this broken horse.
This story came out of the first half of the 1900s, when the world experienced two world wars, a decade of depression, a global pandemic, and numerous other regional conflicts. Is it any wonder that even Father Christmas, the bringer of joy and magic at Christmas, would also be ground down by the inhumanity humans visit upon each other? No matter how much life grinds us down, rituals like Christmas can be a time to remember. If only for a short time, life can and will get better. Reaching out and connecting with others takes us out of ourselves. Reminds us we can each move forward towards a better future. Thank you for listening to the ninth of the Christmas podcast. The next episode will be Ellen Montgomery's Ida's New Year's Cake.